Hello and welcome back to Indefensible Inc. I'm your host, Justin Zyduck, and this is part two of a discussion that I'm having with my guest and friend, Jim Cannon, on superheroes and why, generally speaking, they don't kill supervillains. Or, to illustrate the debate by example, why doesn't Batman kill the Joker? If you're listening to this, you probably already listened to the first part, so uh, go back and check that out if you haven't. But I'll just refresh your memory to say that we talked about some of the general reasons, both philosophical and practical, for this rule of thumb, and then talked about Superman, Spider-Man, Wonder Woman, and Captain America specifically. Today we'll be getting into some of the heroes and anti-heroes who have what you might call a more flexible view of the morality of this issue. And yes, we will talk about the big question, why doesn't Batman just kill the Joker already? Uh, let's roll. So this is one that we have we have sort of discussed a bit off mic, and I will I will yield the floor to you on this one because I think this is I think this is an interesting one that you have a definite perspective on. I have strong feelings. Uh, Hawkeye. Yeah. So I think Hawkeye kind of typifies the transition from comics code approved superhero comics that are intended for all ages or even young audience, and the non code books written for the the oldsters. So Comics Code era set the precedent for Hawkeye to be uh, respective of life. Um, there was a rule, the Avengers don't kill. And I'm not sure why exactly, whether that was Comics Code imposed, although you said it wasn't, or whether it was just kind of they could only get those government connections but maintain their secret identities if they didn't do any kind of really illegal stuff. I don't know. Of course, it's always dangerous to like hold this up to too much reality, but like that makes a certain amount of sense of like, yeah, you know, we'll allow you to have this mansion and these crazy Quinjets and all this stuff. But if you don't kill anybody, then like we can just say that you're working with, you know, with the, as long as you don't cross a line, I think that we're all, everybody's going to be cool with this. So there's one storyline where Hawkeye accidentally caused the death of the Ant-Man villain Egghead. And he mm-hmm. was just inconsolable afterwards. He he felt really awful, and uh, I mean egghead. <laughs> so we weren't losing anyone of consequence when that happened. Um, so he ends up marrying Bobby Morse, uh, agent of Shield, who becomes Mockingbird, a West Coast Avenger. And on a trip back through time, Mockingbird is kidnapped and mind controlled by the Phantom Rider. Um, there's an implication well he was mind controlling her that's assault period um yeah even if they don't spell it out anyone and i think for i think for its time is maybe more take taking that seriously than he got handsy and um this is yeah this is a violation this is yeah really bad stuff and no matter no matter how you slice yeah Yeah. and this again quote unquote all ages comic book (laughs) so phantom rider i think he's put in some kind of compromising position he's 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 about to fall off a cliff yeah, I I believe, and Mockingbird can save him by reaching down and pulling him up, and she chooses not to, and I don't think anyone could blame her. <laughs> I certainly mm-hmm. don't, given what she went through. Um, but uh, it caused a great deal of tension between her and Hawkeye. Um, not what happened to her, but the fact that she let this let this guy die. Didn't actively kill him, but let him die, and eventually led to their divorce. So because Hawkeye took such a stance against that sort of thing, um, it was very fundamental to his character. Um, And, you know, it's kind of an awkward and 
difficult storyline. And I think to some extent it has been brushed under the rug for many reasons. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I love, I love Englehart's West coast Avengers run. This is a, one of my weird hobby horses <laughs> like, yes, this, this is, but like, this is a story where it falls into that sort of broader thing of like, do we risk doing more harm than good tackling stuff like implied sexual assault and stuff like that for the sake of spicing up my, you know, time traveling back to the old West story <laughs> and on some level, you know, like, I mean, this is, this is obviously like, this is a, this is a whole different podcast series, obviously like talking about this sort of thing. But then post disassembled post Bendis Avengers post um, all that uh, in, into the 21st century post ultimates Hawkeye is now like shooting mobsters in the eyes with his, his bow. I don't know how the arrow knows to stop and, and not kill these people, <laughs> but somehow it does. And trick arrows. Yeah. And he's going so far as to actually kill Bruce Banner, um, you know, at Bruce Banner's request, admittedly, but, Still, he's killing people, uh, mm. and that is not the Hawkeye I grew up with. But that is the Hawkeye who is in comics these days, and you know Marvel never reboots, or that's not something they do. So that's all canonical, uh, even if it's something they're moving away from at the moment with the new Thunderbolts or whatever. So I think Hawkeye's trajectory just showcases how comics have changed as far as this this code thing goes yeah i think this is an interesting case because we have he is not the icon perhaps that superman is these characters change over time this is a character who is maybe allowed to change over time more than superman or batman might be he's certainly not as iconic as those guys although that now that he's um one of the main avengers in the movies i think that has changed although he's derided which i know bothers me as a hawkeye fan because he's just some guy with with a bow and arrow Next to a god and a giant green rage monster. I, but again, you know, heartened by the TV series, using the trick arrows and everything to um, knock out and detain and stop, but not kill. Um, so there's hope <laughs> for <laughs> old Clint Barton. So Wolverine, because we, of course, have to have a podcast where we don't talk about Wolverine. <laughs> again, an iconic superhero, yeah. Wolverine is, is maybe different than, I think, all of the characters that we've talked about so far in that he, I think, wants to kill, or at least that, that is sort of his original conception, like back in the the Claremont burn run, is that very that idea of he could snap at any moment. His natural impulse is to kill you or kill who is in his way, and he chooses not to, and that's a, a conscious decision. And that was, it, it was, I mean, it's, it's hard to, remember, to think about it now, but like that's a controversial character at the time. I've heard it said that in the Savage Land arc during the Claremont burn run, that it sort of implies that he killed a guard off panel. Supposedly Jim Shooter was like, I'm going to let this go, but we're going to, we're going we're gonna to talk about, we're going to talk about this, Chris, <laughs> at a later date. And uh, yeah, so I think Wolverine is very much maybe the best example of like where the line is and when you cross it. And oddly, I think that this has made him almost given him sort of a position as like one of the more moral characters, or at least portrayed as the most more one of the more moral characters. Where I feel like when there is an issue, a moral issue in a Marvel comic, and Wolverine comes on on one side, I think that the reader is often meant to sympathize or empathize with Wolverine's position because 
he makes hard decisions. I don't know. That, that's that's a theory that I have that I feel I see like a lot of modern Wolverine or, you know, modern as far as I, you know, yeah. get my toes into this. But I feel like Wolverine has been posi- positioned as sort of like the heart in a way, in a weird way, considering that he was the crazy little guy who. <laughs> he's speaking of growth. Yeah. Wolverine has 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 grown <laughs> considerably, but he's he's another one with that um, intelligence agent background. Um, and he's got stabby knives coming out of his, his knuckles. Like the, there's, there's no, they're not hammers. <laughs> he's got, he's got little swords, yeah. six of them coming out of his, <laughs> out of his hands and they're meant to, to stab and kill. So the thing about Wolverine is with all his training and the, again, very similar to the, to the Avengers, but probably not for the same reasons. The X-Men had a code against killing. So the fact that Wolverine was willing to go there on occasion caused considerable tension between him and the rest of the team, but primarily Cyclops uh, as the leader. Uh, but it, it gave him a hard edge, uh, and as part of the what made him the breakout character of the all-new, all-different X-Men. But at the same time, when you get to that, that Miller Claremont limited series that is kind of his first solo breakout appearance, mm. the whole point was that he there's this internal struggle that Logan has between his bestial urges and his sense of honor and fair play and just being a stand up guy and giving in to those bestial urges and becoming a berserk and killing machine is seen as a he sees it as a failure. Uh, and then we as fans see it as awesome time because he's going <laughs> to open up a can of whoop ass and proceed to carve up some bad guys who deserve it. But the character in his head saw that as, you know, uh, the, the weapon of last resort because for all of his catchphrases and everything, Wolverine, I mean, you look at him, he's not a very good fighter. He's really good at getting his butt kicked. Right. And then, because of his power, he gets back up again. But like, you know, somebody like Spider-Man or Batman or Captain America, they do not get hammered the way that Wolverine gets hammered. And maybe that's because Wolverine jumps in and draws fire. Or maybe that's because he's just really bad at fighting. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, you know what? I like, I, like where you, I like where you're going with this. I like the idea that like the X-Men are like, man, we, do, we take him to the, to the danger room like once a day. He never gets any better. <laughs> he's just, he's always jumping in front of the laser beam and then it burns off his skin and he falls down and then he gets back up and he stabs it. Yeah. But so what makes Wolverine interesting is that tension between his berserker rage and his choice not to kill when that is not necessarily the optimum choice. But unlike most superheroes, Wolverine tends to run on action movie logic like you were saying earlier about yeah. movies and, and, and comics, he, he is Dirty Harry or John McClane. Because he can take so much punishment, and that's his one superpower, really, uh, that tends to happen to him a lot. So then there's certain amount of justification for the amount of violence he does in return. Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, there's and when you're fighting the hand ninjas, 
<laughs> like they're not real people. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're 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 faceless. You assume they have swore a terrible oath to assassinate and murder, and yeah. So we're not we're not we're not feeling too bad about these about these assassins. They're but. definitely chaotic evil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No one's like, do you ever think about like the you know the hand guy goes back to his wife and kids and says, well, "I have a rough day at the <laughs> office." There was this Canadian guy. But no, I, I think I think there will never be an Invisibles thirteen for a, a hand ninja. That is for sure. <laughs> yeah, um, go go read go read that issue with the Invisible Best Man Fall. Go read it. Oh my um, god, it's brutal. It's so my good. Rec- my recommendation of the decade. That's why I love Graham Morrison. Yeah, yeah. So I think Wolverine is a somehow he still manages to be a superhero. Um, and I think it's because he has evolved into that position as the moral um, voice. Professor X turned out to be evil. Um, Cyclops uh, turned into Magneto. Um, and Wolverine was kind of left holding the bag. And I don't know what's going on with the, the Hickman X-Men on their little island and um, working with Sinister and Apocalypse and other supervillains. But... For a brief period, Wolverine was running the school, uh, and he had like Spider-Man as a teacher and stuff. And um, he's a he's a very complex character, and I think that complexity lends again a richness to his stories. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's always interesting whenever he doesn't. It's more interesting when he doesn't kill. I think than oh, when yeah, he I does. Think, I mean, that's. If you're inclined to kill and you don't kill, that is worth more than if you are not inclined to kill and then you don't kill. Because it's 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 not just a moral victory for society, but for the character himself. When yeah. whenever he doesn't do that, so you like you're not surprised when Batman or Superman doesn't kill somebody because that's that's their bag, that's their mm-hmm. thing. But when Wolverine doesn't, it's like, gosh, he's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, as as, as much as much as I sometimes, you know, especially like back in the in the nineties, you grumble about like Wolverine is everywhere and mm-hmm. all that. But like, I, I mean, obviously, I I get it, right? Like, I mean, and I I like Wolverine. I'm not. Yeah, to, I'm, I'm not, not above that at all. Yeah, but yeah, I I I mean, I definitely see there was a lightning in a bottle there. I think that Wolverine really gets, and that's why this endures, even though there have been other you know antiheroes and and stuff. Speaking about the uh, the grittier uh, heroes, uh, Punisher has <laughs> no conflict at all over the decision to kill. There's no, it's, it's zero. He's 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 down. He's you, mm-hmm. he shows up with he's he's got the gun, uh, and you can say, well, he's not a superhero. And Jerry Conway will say, I did not create him to be a superhero, and all of this. If you look at the trading cards from from the nineties, <laughs> you look at the the Marvel Universe trading cards. It says superhero on them, so well, let's, let's like, like, like it or not, like it or not, we have to look at this in that context. I think I well, there's the that binary um, role and trading cards. Either you're a superhero or a supervillain. There's no gray areas. But the Punisher is not a hero, super or otherwise. He's he's a serial killer. <laughs> um, I mean, it is again. Marvel doesn't reboot, so here's here's some canon for you. Frank died and went to heaven and was reunited with his family. And he still came back to earth because he liked killing gangsters so much. (laughs) Now, obviously the reason for that is Garth Ennis wanted to write a Punisher series and he wanted to use Frank Castle. And so you get 
Garth Ennis and Steve Dillon and they want to do a Punisher series, it's going to be Frank Castle. Let them do whatever they want because you'll, you'll be able to print money with that. But you think about what that means in universe about who Frank Castle is and what motivates him. And that is scary. Like he's a monster. <laughs> yeah. And I think Ennis did not want to shy away from that. That was the whole point. Yeah. I, I mean, I enjoyed that book. Um, mm-hmm. Garth Ennis wrote a, a very funny and violent and thought provoking uh, series and, and Steve Dillon drew the hell out of it. But I don't consider the Punisher a, a hero. I mean, a protagonist. Sure. Um, within the framework of, of his own stories. But the fact that Spider-Man hasn't beat the tire out of him and thrown him in prison <laughs> bothers me. <laughs> and yeah, I'll... there's – and in some ways I feel like he, he's – Punisher sort of breaks the Marvel Universe a little bit, <laughs> I think. Because like, cause you'll have – you'll have, I mean, especially because, you know, created in Spider-Man, a lot of his early appearances involve Spider-Man. There is this thing where Spider-Man obviously thinks this guy is unwell and does not – would never do the things that the Punisher does, but – when he's working with the Punisher, it's like, well, I don't like you, but as opposed to like, it seems like he should like, no, you know what? I'm going to punch you out first. And <laughs> yeah. then... I don't, I don't need you to help me fight this bad guy. And, but then at the end of every crossover, they go their separate ways and Spider-Man's like, next time, Frank, or, or something. Yeah, it's like, it's like yeah, what? Keep, keep your nose clean. I was like, you know, he's not going to. <laughs> he literally, he exists to kill people. What what and you're Spider-Man. You exist to stop people like him. Yeah, and uh, it seems like I mean, superheroes really should be tracking this guy down. Like not just like this sort of like, oh, I don't approve of your methods. It's like everybody is an Avenger these days, right? Yeah. Like, functionally. You could spare I'm gonna spitball here. Let's get like speedball, <laughs> let's get Tigra, let's you know, just uh, <laughs> Whoever, whoever you have that like, maybe the is not necess- Get the scrubs, the, the yeah. Z team. And, yeah, just get a team. Dedicate them to like, your job <laughs> is to find the Punisher. He's He's got a lot of guns, but it's just guns. You're all bulletproof. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, yeah, you know what? Wonder Man, this is your one job yeah. <laughs> for this year. For this calendar just year. arrest I'd- the Punisher. You are on Punisher duty. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, and it's and it's sort of funny because going back to Mark Greenwell and Captain America, you have Scourge the supervillain killer. And he is, you know, his his card says supervillain, and his whole deal is that he tracked down and he killed, you know, other supervillains. And it was it's very clear in the story that this is a bad guy, and yet functionally he's this exactly the same as the Punisher except that he's going after the porcupine instead of, you know, arms dealers and drug dealers to, to some extent scourge is even more successful than punisher because yeah. <laughs> um for all the the people that punisher has murdered he's he's never taken down a name supervillain. Mm-hmm. um and and i could flip the the titular question back to you why doesn't batman kill the joker why doesn't punisher kill the kingpin we have a character yeah. whose M.O. is is murdering gangsters, and we have the ultimate gangster. Punisher is kind of, um, <sighs> he's a straw dog, you know? No, I know. I know. There's, <laughs> there's, I mean, there, that is, that's sort of that, that breaking the Marvel Universe thing, because it's like, of all the people that it, you might make an argument for somebody being able to step outside the law and execute, Kingpin would probably be 
up there in that like the law can't touch him and so you can't do you know the you can't web him up and drop him at police headquarters because they'll say oh mr fisk let me let me get that for you <laughs> like in the in the in the logic of the you know in the logic of punisher he is exactly the sort of person who can do what nobody else seems to be able to do but he can't do it because we need kingpin for daredevil in yep. spider-man comics so we can't yep. And I'm sure I'm sure there's you know I am not a I'm not a Punisher scholar and I'm sure there are Punisher files out there going let me read you off all the appearances in which <laughs> Punisher and Kingpin interact. At some point, if we're gonna take this to its logical conclusion, like Punisher probably should have done a suicide run in, you know, Fisk Tower or whatever his, his building is a while ago, right? Oh like, yeah, this is yeah. that's probably his highest purpose would have been to take out the Kingpin. He's a big target. Yeah, he's More ways than right one. there. He's in the he's in the <laughs> limelight. He's in the public. Everybody knows who he is. We all know who he is, right? Exactly. Yeah. But Punisher never, never even tries. I think he's even worked for the Kingpin once or twice. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know. The Punisher, like I said, it, he he fills a very strange role within the Marvel universe, and mm-hmm. he conflicts with it thematically so much, and because of the commercial reasons he can't actually succeed at anything because I mean, right. Like he, he murders a lot of low rent gangsters and stuff, but this, like I said, the scourge wiped out, you know, turn of the century. Punisher couldn't even do that. <laughs> <laughs> all, all I know, all I know is one of them killed Mirage and one of them didn't. <laughs> Yeah, I I just I feel like the Punisher has almost sort of outgrown the Marvel universe and that like the idea of this relentless guy going after muggers sort of works within its own context and like if there's one thing that maybe you shouldn't put in the Marvel cinematic universe, but then if you take it out of the Marvel context, it's just another 80s action movie about yeah. You know, the guy the guy they pushed too far, but he's got a skull on his chest, so it's completely yeah, different. Right. Yeah. And then going even a step further than the Punisher, you have the villains who we sort of put in the anti-hero or at the very least the villain who has his or her own title. Yeah. And we, you know, so this is your your Venom, your Deadpool, your Deathstroke, your Suicide Squad. These, I mean, sort of the justification with these is often that the bad guy is going after a worse bad guy. And our protagonist bad guy has some sort of a code of ethics that they also have a line that's just drawn differently or further off to the side. Well, I think it allows you to have your cake and eat it too, because then you yeah. can do the full action movie stuff and and have a um, a protagonist who who uses lethal force and does crazy things with their powers, but you're still doing it in this kind of stylized super world um, full of robots and evil scientists and and mutants and and what have you. I mean, I have Destro comics and I, I don't like Destro. (laughs) (laughs) I enjoy reading. It's like, you know, like the Punisher, I enjoy reading about them, but I, I don't necessarily like them as, as characters, if that makes any sense. They're murderers. um, I mean, Slade has done, even worse things than that, going back to <laughs> right. Teen Titan days, um, yeah, Terra, and so on and so forth. Um, Venom, 
I'm not a big Venom guy. I know he's very popular, and and um, many books have been have been lauded. I haven't read them. I I can't say back and forth. The character just doesn't really do much for me. Deadpool is funny, and so that goes a long way. <laughs> and he mm-hmm. is also because like Wolverine, he's got the healing factor. He takes an awful lot of hammering himself. So then it's again, it's almost justified when he unloads a like amount of violence against other people but he's he's like a looney tunes character who just bleeds instead of getting flattened um (laughs) so but i think that once you get into that area you're very far from super heroes they're they exist in a in a super hero universe but they might be super but they're not heroes yeah i i I wonder if even at the height of venom mania where he had not an ongoing series but he had you know years of having just there was a new issue of a limited series every month so he effectively had right a venom series i I struggle to think that his trading card ever said superhero i think it was probably always this is is my my entire i think (laughs) could have solved a lot simpler if i just just brought out the marvel universe cards (laughs) and gone okay let's let's look at this superhero see and it's in black and white. It's this is it's written down like this. Yeah. Right. So the big one, what I am naming this podcast episode after as a shorthand to 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 get at the the core issue here. Batman. I think that no but no other superhero has had as much work done on sort of making the you know whatever practical or commercial reasons. I don't think any other superhero has had as much time spent on really trying to like build a worldview and ethos out of that. And that's one of the things that I think is really interesting is how purely practical reasons have generated this like whole ethical system almost by accident, or you have to, or it's like, it's inevitable once you work backwards from like, if you can't kill the Joker, then we have to invent an entire philosophy behind. (laughs) Well, you know, so I have obviously thought about this a lot. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But there, there are a lot of reasons why Batman doesn't kill the Joker or anyone else. Um, the main ones we've already mentioned, the All Ages Entertainment and, and being able to make more Joker comics. But then there's also very particular reasons that apply solely to Bruce Wayne. So Bruce invented Batman, although he wasn't called Batman then, but he invented this concept of this protector as a way of coping with the trauma of, of seeing his parents murdered in front of him. So right away, Batman as a concept is a response against murder. He's opposed to death. He exists Mm -hmm. primarily to protect Bruce Wayne from that trauma. But as he trains and has the bat fly through the window and becomes Batman, um, it's a way to protect other people from that trauma, even if that other person is Jervis Tetch. Um, He could have... With all his money and his training and his Olympic level athleticism and everything, could have become an FBI agent or a police detective or a U.S. marshal or whatever. Um, but he he's incapable of holding a gun. He'd be expected to use it, and a gun exists to do one thing, which is to kill, which is something he's he's fundamentally opposed to doing because that. Batman exists to not kill. Mark Wade was one of my favorite comic writers ever, but I have mixed feelings about Kingdom Come. That said, one of my favorite 
things that I think Wade has ever written is this sort of summary that Superman gives that says, like, when you dig below everything else about Batman, Batman is somebody who doesn't want to see anybody else die. Yep. And that's, I mean, that's part of the Batman concept and why he became Batman is because, or why the identity as a, as a bat is to scare criminals. And that's because he's just a regular guy and he needs that edge. He needs that them to hesitate, to pull the trigger. He needs them to uh, run away when he, when he does something intimidating. Um, because even with all his armor and gadgets and stuff, he's at the end of the day, he's, he's a regular guy and he needs certain certain things to, to, to work as this, this figure. And one of those is, is because he is a vigilante, you know, in the early days, he's, he's fought both the cops and the underworld. And he was only able to ally with the police through Jim Gordon. And he's got kind of a tacit approval. But I think the moment that Batman and Batman breaks so many laws over the course of a, of the average night. Um, oh yeah. Like in, in, in real life, Super illegal and immoral. Oh yeah, was, uh, all this breaking and entering but, and coercing suspects and um, yeah, tampering no with warrants. police evidence and all. The, but at the end of the day, he captures bad guys. Um, right. He solves crimes and he turns them over to the police, usually with evidence in tow. So if he stepped beyond that, then there wouldn't be a a place for them to meet halfway. And then he couldn't mm-hmm. really operate because he'd have to fight the cops and the underworld at the same time, all the time. And then, like I said, he's just a regular guy. He's not Superman. He needs to sleep. He's vulnerable to bullets. <laughs> <laughs> My one weakness. <laughs> Ironic. Getting shot. I'm like, kill your parents. <laughs> um, so although the, the police force is in the government in Gotham City is always presented as to a certain level of corruption you know and we've seen um whenever jim gordon isn't the top cop the police force falls into worse corruption so he kind of keeps it on an even keel and allows him to work with batman and for batman to to do good within the city there has to be that kind of connection there's a reason why jim gordon is one of the, the few supporting cast members who seems to appear in any incarnation whether that is film um, television, cartoons, comics, or whatever, because he, he kind of needs that ally. So there's like certain legal and just tactical reasons for him to, to not ever kill anyone beyond this psychological block that, that he has to have because of the trauma he suffered. And then mm-hmm. ultimately, it's, it's not really Batman's job. His job is to capture, is to stop the bad guys hopefully before they commit terrible crimes, but usually because it's less dramatically satisfying, um, they get part of their plan manages to go off and their, their bodies left in their wake. But his, his thing is to capture them and turn them over to the state so that they get a fair trial. And it's the judge who hands down whatever sentence. And that sentence is usually for some reason, send them to (laughs) Arkham Asylum or black gay prisoner or whatever. You know, I, I don't know whatever state um, Gotham City may be in, whether it even has the uh, death penalty. But certainly, given the 80 years of, of stories and the amount of destruction various Batman rogues have, have wrought, it's surprising that all of them are still alive. 
but it's I don't think it's really up to Batman to change that status. Yeah, I think we should I think we should we should talk about this because I think part of the reason that this question comes up is that I feel like the the stakes have been elevated by writers and I think that that has sort of made an untenable situation. So like it used to be where the Joker shows up and he kills some criminals and that's you know like there's five criminals at whose lives five way revenge or three right or three civil three three civil servants whose lives are at risk and these are this is the stakes and that's one thing and then you will have other stories where it's like the opening salvo is the joker escapes and he blows up a bus (laughs) you know it'll be like the story begins with the joker has just killed 12 you know two dozen people yeah Batman, get down here. And I think that we have sort of gotten to this point where it, it begs the question more than just like a guy who robs banks, you know? One of the problems with treating this as a realistic question is that killers like the Joker don't exist because they don't get out, right? <laughs> like like you were saying with like Arkham Asylum, it's basically a revolving door. Or even, you know, you're, I mean, he goes to like conventional prison, he gets out. And in, in the in the real world, like this doesn't this doesn't happen. Like your serial killers either don't get caught or they get caught, and when they get caught, they go in prison and they die in there or are you know you never hear from them again in yep. society. Because like of course the Joker is going to get you. You and I know, and everybody reading more than one comic knows the Joker is going to get out, and next time he's probably going to kill three dozen people in a bus. And it seems it becomes this question of like, well, it's immoral for you to, uh, you know, uh, facilitate this happening. But in the real world, this doesn't happen. It just, it, this isn't, this isn't a problem that we have that serial killers are getting out. Are getting Not out of only that, but someone with the Joker's body count as it stands, the insanity plea would not hold. They, I mean, even in the Nolan movies, and, and this is be, largely because of the tragic death of Heath Ledger, but in between the Dark Knight and the Dark Knight Rises, uh, Joker was just executed. Uh, they put him in the chair. Hmm. You just you don't get away with that sort of thing, and and then try to cop an insanity plea. It's just it doesn't hold water. Within the hmm. the comic book universe, yeah, it's strange credulity, or even just strange credulity that the Joker hasn't been quietly murdered by um, a police officer <laughs> right. during a routine prison transfer. You know? Yeah, I mean, Gotham is the most, almost supernaturally corrupt, right? It's like, the one place where they are squeaky clean, by the book. Right. Um, yeah, and it's not, it's not, not like the cops even, like, not, you can't even, like, write in that, like, the cops have some sort of underhanded reason for wanting him alive because like, he will also kill cops. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> it's not a commentary on society that, like, oh, they'll let the Joker go because of X, Y, and Z. It's like, there is literally no reason for anybody who is not Batman. No. You know, or, who would, in, if, if this situation existed, like, I mean, at this point, it's basically like a natural disaster. At best, know? he should be in um, solitary confinement in Antarctica, surrounded by robots. Right. You know, I just. Yeah, put him, put him on the moon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's the universe. We have this technology. We have, we have the moon. That's, the moon is in play. So, so you're right. It's, there's part of the problem that this, that this question well, why doesn't Batman kill the Joker? Why it even comes up is because of this escalation. And they've made the Joker and many other supervillains into such unredeemable monsters mm. that it staggers belief that something isn't 
done about them. But again, I don't think that it's Batman's or Superman's job to do that. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, I mean, like it, it. If we are if we are playing this through to like a logical conclusion, society would have to think of something to do. Like society would not go, Batman. You have to figure out what, what to do. About this, right? <laughs> like, Batman, the Joker's out. We need you to catch him. That seems fair, but like, what yeah. to do with him? I think this is like a failure of what we expect out of superhero comics. Uh, this this podcast host points the finger of blame squarely at you, the reader. <laughs> this is all your fault. You're why we can't have nice things. No, I. <laughs> no, I think that's just that's just a, a natural consequence of escalation that we it's become insupportable like like why is the punisher yeah. around and and all that yeah. stuff i almost prefer the endings and they used to do this more often i feel like in the uh in the good old days which i'll say in heavy quotes <laughs> even though i the bronze probably age? secretly believe it <laughs> that like the joker would get away he would be seemingly killed he would fall off that girder into the ocean right his ha 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 sienda would blow explosion. up um Right. Nobody could have survived that. His death trap would 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 backfire. Yeah. And then he'd show up again. But that gives you enough plausible wiggle room of like Batman can say, Well, there's nothing that I can do right now. (laughs) So I guess we're gonna you know, and again, this is a Joker who doesn't kill quite so indiscriminately as he does now, so like it's conceivable that the Joker gets away and he goes, Well, I'm gonna lay load for a couple of months until a good Joker cover would goose sales a bit. So yeah, well that's and that's the other thing too is was as creative teams no longer have like long runs and they they change out uh, on a, a much more regular basis. But everybody has that one Joker story they want to tell, or or everybody feels they have to mm-hmm. tell a Joker story or whatever. So then you get you just get too much Joker, and and you know Bat- Batman has the. He's in the top three as far as, you know, collections of villains go, but they still keep using like the same four or five all, all the time. <laughs> um, and I don't think that's necessary. I think, you know, you a lot of the murdery stuff, let's hand that off to Mr. Zash. You know, you don't need Joker for that. Let's yeah. maybe, maybe go back to heists, clever heists, whatever. <laughs> and giant props. I miss the giant props. The giant typewriters on top of buildings and stuff. Oh, that was good stuff. Big telephone at the telephone company. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. The the Batman statue in Gotham Harbor. I don't know. I when you when you said maybe we have enough Joker, I think that several different Warner Brothers executives, their hearts seized. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I hear ambulance sirens. <laughs> maybe we better maybe maybe we better better wrap this up and before uh there's an inquest. Yeah, fair enough. But um to circle back to this podcast mission statement, uh, when, if ever, is the code against killing a bad or implausible or dumb thing or something that just doesn't work? Is it, is it as my friend and yours, Bill Jameis, said, a, a kindergarten morality that we should be dispensing with? No, I don't think so. I, I don't think it's ever bad or implausible or dumb. I think it's it's one of the the most important parts of this this nebulous concept we call superhero it's it's part of the wish fulfillment inherent in the idea it's the ability to live up to this high standard 
to possess the powers or skills required to be able to live up to that standard. Not everybody can be a superhero. Not everybody can be Spider-Man or or Batman or Daredevil or Superman. And it's not because of their powers necessarily. There's always that thing about how anybody could be Batman, but not everybody's born rich with the and a genius and an Olympic level athlete. So one of the things that I enjoy about superheroes the most, perhaps as I've gotten older and become this graying fanboy, is the notion notions of mercy and compassion. That superheroes are not cruel and they aren't mean. <laughs> and they're 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 they exist to provide hope and support and defense and um and maybe that's corny, but I think it's like wearing your underwear on the outside of your pants. It's it's kind of silly. It's kind of absurd. But at the same time, the climate that we live in, the world that we inhabit, some compassion and some mercy, these are things that we need more of. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we have superheroes living in that imaginary space and filling that role... Um, I mean, I, I need that. I don't know about anybody else. Um, but that's what I look to them for. Um, well, primarily I look for them to for fun action adventure stories. But at the end of the day, the, what keeps me coming back is this idea that they are positive forces. And and that, like I said, it's, it's part of that, that fantasy. They wouldn't exist in the real world, even if physics-breaking abilities were possible. But the fact that we imagine them and imagine ourselves to be that way, I think, is a good thing. That's lovely. <laughs> so then, the flip side of that, of course, there's that, that great Grant Morrison Superman quote from, I think, JLA Classified, yep. where he, Superman says, these no-nonsense solutions don't hold water in a world of time travel and jet-powered apes. It's often quoted because it's it's a, it's a great it's quoted line. because it's true, <laughs> and it's true. Yeah, that's all true. One thing that I, I do want to say at the end is that we've you and I have been having a lot of fun about you know comics being better than the old days, and I think that my thing that I try to get across is that like things are different now; they're not better or worse. And like we and like you you've been talking about how you you've enjoyed Garth Ennis's Punisher, and like I have enjoyed Garth Ennis's Punisher. So like this this, this is yeah. not this is not a fundamental like clutching our pearls. You know how how dare you? No. You know how 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 dare you write something so obscene? I think there's a, there is a something about a superhero story that you can't tell in any other genre necessarily because like you wouldn't watch an Indiana Jones movie about why you shouldn't kill this Nazi or this mercenary or whoever you know you're you're up against. This is a, this is a story that you, if you're writing superheroes, you tell the stories that you can't tell other places. And I think this is one of those stories that you need a superhero for, or that you can really use a superhero for is examining these, like Grant Morrison says, these complex, (laughs) these complex situations. Yeah. When you have time travel or Neuron or Mephisto or reality gems or, or whatever, (laughs) you know, that there's, there's no telling how, or where or why a supervillain who seemingly died or literally died might come back. Because you you and I both know that even if Batman for some reason killed the Joker or Punisher managed to kill Kingpin or, say, 
Green Goblin accidentally kills himself, they'll be back in five months or mm-hmm. 15 years or whatever. So these concepts have have uh, a vitality and a life and a dollar value <laughs> um, beyond what happens on the on the page. So it's almost like giving into killing would be a lack of imagination. Yeah. And these are ultimately fantasy, science fiction, silly, absurd stories. And I think you can take them seriously to some extent, but there's a breaking point. And I think having a code helps helps avoid that breaking point. Yeah. And obviously it doesn't doesn't hold in all situations. And like you said, I, I enjoy Punisher stories. I thrill whenever Wolverine loses control and starts slashing the heck out of people as much as anybody. And I, I, I find Deadpool entertaining. (laughs) (laughs) So I, you know, I'm not immune to that, that kind of action adventure stuff, but I think you're right. I think the superhero concept allows you to examine. I don't necessarily why, because I think you're right. There's just some, you know, the average person is never faced with that situation. Mm But the superhero is so much larger than life, and they have larger-than-life problems and larger-than-life solutions to those problems. And I think that's part of the enjoyment, is seeing that that stuff play out. Yeah, I think, I mean, on some level, I think that the reason that Batman doesn't kill the Joker or Superman doesn't kill Lex Luthor is just because that's the least interesting way out of that. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, well, that was was boring. Yeah, you gotta, now I gotta come with another villain? (laughs) (laughs) So, Jim, thank you for sitting down and talking with me so that this isn't just me ranting into a <laughs> into a microphone in my in my cell next to uh next to the Riddler and <laughs> I thank you for having me again. I I I enjoy this podcast and I, I enjoyed our conversation and, and and talking about stuff that I I mostly just bounce around inside my own head <laughs> from day to day. <laughs> it's nice to get it out there into the world somehow. And if you would like to get your thoughts out into the world, email indefensibleinc at gmail.com for suggestions, for comments, for what's ever on your mind. Hit me up on social media at, at indefensibleinc. But until next time, I have been Justin Zyduck. I have been Jim Cannon. And have a good night. Mm-hmm.